Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Boston University Podcast. If it's your first time listening, I'm John, a former animal cruelty officer and a former animal shelter supervisor. And I'm Jamie. I am a certified dog trainer and a canine behavioral consultant. On this episode, we're discussing the shocking truth about shock collars. Could they be causing more harm than good? Find out next. So today we're going to be talking about shock collars. I was going to do shock collars and prong collars because they kind of go hand in hand, but I think today we're just going to solely talk about shock collars. I do, my consults are free, so I do that because I want the new client, the potential client, to see me, hear from me, let me get to know their dog, let me get to know them, what they want to work on, and then it's their choice if they want to move forward with me or not. I think that's very important to not be held to anything. you got to get to know your trainer. Absolutely. You, know, I, you don't, even if it's the right training methods for you and your dog, doesn't mean your personalities are going to mix. Absolutely. And that's the most important part. You're training the human. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not training the dog. Well, you are, but you're mostly training the human in, in the way they interact with their dog. Yes. So you got to have personalities that work well together. Absolutely. And if... If you don't, then the dog is the only one that's really going to suffer and your wallet. So I always tell my clients, let's meet up, free consultation, get to know me, I'll get to know you, and then you let me know if you want to move forward. And most of the time they do uh, because they like the way that I train and I get to show them exactly what I do. And in this situation, in this story that I'm going to talk about, we're going to call it a case study and I'm not going to use real names, but I'm going to go into kind of what happened and what sparked this conversation today. So a few weeks ago, I got to finally meet up with a client who reached out to me before I even had the baby. And she was like, oh, I'll wait for you. I'm retired. So I finally met up with her. We went to the park. She actually lives much further from here. So she actually came and and traveled to me, which just shows me in itself that she really does care about her dog. So we meet up and I walk up and her, I would say nine to 10 pound chihuahua is on a shock collar. And I was like, wait, what happened? Nine to 10 pound chihuahua on a shock collar. Yes. And I was so confused because before I had the baby, that was not spoken about. We went and like, we talked on the phone. She told me he's a rescue. Um, You know, we don't really know what he's been through, but he's very reactive. Somebody got in her ear. Yes. So essentially what had happened was not that she got tired of waiting for me, but it was a longer period of time. Obviously, with COVID, I was really supposed to go back to week after. Uh, I guess it was a few months. I was, yeah, I was yeah. supposed to go back to work after the six weeks. Um, so obviously, that didn't happen. So in the meantime, she just wanted to keep him active, and I guess keep on working with him. She is a little bit older, so I I get where she was coming from. And like John said, someone got in her ear, and a lot of times, trainers that train with shock collars or prong collars. Most of the time it is a, like a boot camp where they go away for a little bit and you don't see them for like two to four weeks. So that was the situation. I think she wanted to keep her dog active, but when it comes to those types of trainers, they get in your ear and they convince you why it works. I'm going to convince you why it doesn't work. Um, so I walk up, I see the shock collar and I was like, whoa, what happened? And when it comes to these types of things, in these types of situations, if you are a trainer or somebody who works in animal welfare and this literally boils your blood when you see either a shock or a prong, mm-hmm. my my advice to you is to not come in with your claws bared. It's tough. It, it really That's is. That's what a lot of people have a hard time with. 
everyone's emotions get involved. And what I beg you to do is bring it back for a second because these owners, they don't know. It's not their job to know. Yes, you should be researching and this and that, but it's not their job. They didn't go to school for it like I did or you did. She paid somebody. Exactly. And unfortunately, dog training, behavioral training is not a regulated market. So everybody can pretty much do whatever they want. For the most part, I I feel like when you see these aversive tools, the owner typically has the dog's best interest in mind. Exactly. They're just so off base Mm -hmm. on it. Now, I I talked to this woman on the phone. I know how much she cares about her dog. If you're putting an an e-collar on your dog, you're doing it because you want to correct your dog's behavior because you want your dog to have a better life, better Mm -hmm. welfare. You want to have a better relationship with your dog. Mm -hmm. So they're doing it for the right reasons, Mm -hmm. but they're not being told the actual issue. Or the repercussions or what's actually going on. Um, In my mind, this is how I feel about it. There are going to be so many people, I mean, again, in that dog moms group on Facebook, there's so many people who disagree and say, oh, shot collars and prongs, they work, blah, blah, blah. And they disagree with me wholeheartedly. And that's fine. It's okay. But in the long run, shot collars do more damage than good. And I'm going to go into that today. So I walk up, see the shot collar, we start discussing. So... She tells me, you know, she tells me the the more prolonged story that I didn't get on the phone. So he had landed, I think, I want to say a total of three bites, but they were all pretty much warning bites, no broken skin. I mean, again, he's like nine, 10 pounds. Um, And they're all fear-based, all reactivity. um, Right, you could find, you can get to the source of the bite. You understand why the bite happened. Like there was really no more questioning about it. They were all super simple. Like her mom came in the house without letting her know that she was there, scared the crap out of both of them, and he nipped her mm-hmm. um, and then ran. So he's scared. One of the other ones, he she's got a deck that's kind of surrounded by bushes and he was peeing or pooping or something like be, like right below the deck. And then her uncle, who's a big guy, came down the stairs and turned the corner and scared the crap Spook- out of him again. Yeah. So spooked him. And I don't remember the third one, but I I think it's relatively around the same type of thing. So we went over that and I can see him. So we're in Homedale Park. It's a very nice park. It's very open. They do have a section by the parking lot where they've got barn animals, which I love. Like the kids go crazy for it, but it's not like the soup. It's not like a a safari type thing. They're just there. And if you want to see them, you see them. Small Um, little like petting zoo kind of thing. Yeah, it's cute. There's like sheep and some horses and stuff like that. So... Um, most of the time the animals are kind of in their barn or like away from the fence cause they don't really want to see the people. But, um, so there was nothing there at first and we're, we're talking, we're chatting, we're, we're away from people. I would say we're probably good 30, 40 yards away from anybody. And he's on edge. I can see him. His ears are up. He's like kind of shaking a little bit, but like ready to go. Like if something went down, he's, he's ready. He's you know primed. What I mean? Yeah. Like I can see he's tense. He's fine with me. Um, I approached immediately started giving him cheese. So he was like, okay, I like this lady. He really paid me no mind, but he hardly looked at me during this time when we were just chatting. He was constantly surveying the land, making sure nobody was spooking up on him or anything like that, which just made me so sad. And I'm like, I'm like looking at him and I'm like, you poor thing. So we're talking about it and I'm telling her, you know, the shock collar probably isn't the best route for him. I'm just looking at him right now. And a dog that has this type of reactivity, but it's, it's fear-based shot collars make it worse. He is now, not only is he on edge that 
people, dogs, kids, anything is going to hurt him. He's now also worried that he's going to get shocked randomly when he has no idea why. So he's not understanding the cause of the shock either. No, I don't, I don't believe so. She didn't shock him when I was there. So I don't know what technically the trainer did in terms of his reactivity. If it was like anytime he looked at something or if it was when he reacted and we didn't go into that. So at that point, all you're doing is reinforcing the fear. Yes, exactly. He's not thinking, all right, I just got shocked because I was bad. Mm -hmm. You know, he's going to think, all right, there's that sheep over there and I'm reacting to that sheep. And then I get shocked. That sheep sucks. That hurt. Absolutely. So basically... She's she's talking to me about the shock. She goes, well, she, he has gotten a lot better. He's he's um, what did she say? She said his reactivity is a little less. Like I'm able to recall him better. And I was like, okay. And and I said, you know, shock collar for his type of dog is probably not the best option because I don't want him more on edge. I want I don't want to put a band aid over a huge wound. I want to fix the problem. I want to get to the root of the issue and I want to fix his anxiety and I want to fix the fact that he's scared of everybody. But if he's getting shocked and in pain every single time these these already scary things are around, he the the reactivity is only going to be reinforced more mm-hmm. because he's, he's going to hate them more. He's just being conditioned to like bottle everything up. Exactly. What do you always say? The, the tick from the time bomb? Yeah. You're so, removing the tick from the time bomb. It's still going to explode. You just don't know when. And it's it's going to be without warning. So a lot of training with prong, uh, with shock collars, sorry, um, with shock collars is that they're basically taking the voice away from your dog. Your dog is no, no longer allowed to tell you when they're upset or they're feeling uncomfortable. This is what I always tell my clients. I need that. Don't take that away. Never yell at them. Never correct or shock or prong any type of vocalization. Yeah. I need to know when your dog is upset so I can fix the problem. But if we silence it, we're getting nowhere. We're putting a bandaid over a super big wound Mm -hmm. and we're only going to make it worse and he'll bite again. You just won't be expecting it and it'll be 10 times worse than it was prior. So I was explaining this and you know, she was like, well, you know, I, I don't really think he's in pain though, because I tried it on myself and so initially I'm like, ah, no, because I need to calm myself down. And I say to myself, all right, how can I put this in, in words for her to understand? So it's always tough because every dog is different sizes, different hair lengths, this and that. And they have different shock collars for all those types of things. So she put on herself a very small shock collar for a grown human, very different than for a dog that's nine, 10 pounds. So your threshold of pain is very, very different than a chihuahua's threshold of pain. And I was trying to explain that to her because we may feel pain very differently than they do. And it could be 10 million times worse for him. If it's correcting his behavior, it's hurting. And that's what I said too. That was my next thing. If he's, if you're saying that he's reacting better, I put it in quotation marks, better, then you are inducing pain to some extent because he's listening, Mm -hmm. right? And that's what people say, well, my dog listens on the shock collar. And I'm like, yes, because they don't want to get shocked. But again, we go back to the taking the tick away from the ticking time bomb. They're listening better, but you're not fixing the problem. So this, it's like a, it's like a full swirl of, of cascading issues. Um, so we talked about that and then she understood what I was saying. She's like, no, you're right. I didn't think about it like that. He's much smaller than I am. So in that time, we talked about the shock collar and then I, and then I kind of led into what I do and how I would do it differently. And how I think it should be done mm-hmm. for him. 
again, I walked up with cheese. So this dog's like loving me at this point. So I worked on the look command. And normally I don't do that at a consult. I usually wait for my first training session, but I needed to put my money where my mouth was. Yep. And so again, where we are right now on the grass is really not much going on. There's like people far away and he's obviously watching them, but he's not like barking or carrying on. He's just super vigilant. Um, so I start doing the look command with him. He's loving it. And he's, I'm not joking. Like he is like, boom, 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 boom. It's like, fun. Yes. And when they get it, it's so rewarding. And like, you can see that he's enjoying himself and he was like, oh, this is fun. I can do this. Mm-hmm. So he's doing it really great. And then he was doing it. Uh, if, if people listen to my other videos and stuff, when I do the look command, there's like one to four stages and they d- gradually lose my hands moving. You start with a bunch of cues. Yes. To really aid them in doing what you want them to do. And mm-hmm. then you slowly take each cue away, which would be a food lure to your eyes. Yes. Your hand to yes, your eyes. Yes, I move my, removing, I move my other hand. You're removing various cues because I to want make them, it more challenging. I want them to learn that you're looking at my eyes, not the food. Right, but you can't immediately go to there. Yes, you have to get impossible. them there in steps. Yes, so I, I do steps. And that fourth stage is me not even remotely training with the animal. Like the animal is distracted. I'm saying animal, the dog. The dog is distracted um, by something super small. Even if it's not even distracted, let's just say they're looking away from me and they're unaware that we're training at the moment. I don't have food in my hand. They're not, they're not focused on me. And I say the word look and they turn immediately. That is the fourth stage where they hear the word subconsciously not being focused on the owner or the trainer and they turn around. Yes, not engaged in a training session. He was doing this in like five minutes. I was like, you're the best. Oh my God, you're going to be so much fun to train. Because he was just like, boom, boom, boom. I got this. Yes, let's do this. And he loves food, which is half the battle most of the time. And a lot of small dogs aren't super food motivated. He was gobbling it up. So we're doing this. She's like, wow, he's really good at it, right? And then it was like a godsend. It was like someone set me up to this perfect thing and this perfect situation. And this sheep starts walking Mm -hmm. over to where we are by the fence. I was dying because she's like, oh, crap. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, let me let me do this. So she's got him on the leash, and um, he's obviously, like, trying to pull towards – he's, he's a dog in the sense – I know we talk about this all the time. There's runners, and then there's approachers, and he is an approacher. Like, he wants to go forward to not get hurt, whereas a lot of other dogs will retreat. Um, so he's definitely more like, let's do this, like I'm ready to defend myself type dog. Hence so, the bite history. Exactly, the bite history. He's willing to land a bite to keep himself safe. The mentality is, I'm going to hurt you before you hurt me. So he's he's trying to go for this sheep who's definitely got to be like four to 500 pounds. And this, this sheep is not even like looking at him at all, like cares nothing of this dog. And he's carrying on, carrying on. And I'm I'm physically getting in front of him. I'm not blocking the sheep but I'm getting to a place where he can physically see me and the cheese. Mm-hmm. So I'm telling him. And the sheep. And the sheep. So he's seeing the whole situation yes. other than his owner because she's obviously behind holding the leash. So I'm trying to keep him a little bit back further. We got to find the right threshold. And I'm trying to, my number one goal is getting the cheese in his mouth. But if he can do the little command, great, which he was. He was doing great. So once we backed him up, I want to say it was a good maybe 10 feet. So we were still decently close. I mean, a sheep he probably has never even seen before. Mm-hmm. So he's able at this point, I don't have to hold the leash for, for more retraction. Um, he's able to just be stagnant and he's not like lunging or barking anymore, but he's staring at the sheep and I'm able to do the look and he's turning to me. Then I'm able to kind of back away more towards his owner and he's following me because the cheese is worth more than barking at the sheep. Right. 
And, and to I'm, this point, nothing scary happened around nothing, the sheep. So now he's painful. starting to realize. Exactly. This was not a horrible situation. He's really like, okay, this sheep's kind of cool. I got some cheese. But right when the sheep came, I got the cheese. Um, so he's able to kind of detach and, and walk with me a little bit back further. So he's detaching from the sheep on his own. I'm not forcing him and he's not feeling any pain. And mom literally at the end, once the sheep kind of like went away and we, we got back to talking, she was like, that was amazing. She's like, I didn't even know that like that was a thing. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. So basically the goal is in any scary situation to do the look command. And there's other commands that you can do as well. Whatever works for your dog. Sometimes leave it works or touch or anything that works for your dog. You've got to find what works for them internally, um, emotionally. And that's why I always say as a trainer, yes, I am positive reinforcement based and command based. But I do focus mostly on emotions. I want to, again, fix the problem. I don't want to put a command to it. Even with positive reinforcement trainers, sometimes they just put a command to a problem. We want to fix it. So that was my goal. I said, we have to get to the root of his reactivity. He's terrified. And then led into my next point. She goes, now, if you are a Chihuahua owner or you know Chihuahuas, they have very specific uh, personalities. Um, We talk about Pudge all the time. She can be a huge brat. Um, we huge love her to death. Brat. She's smart as hell. Um, she does what she wants. Again, she is inbred, so we do give very, her. We very inbred. We're her. not saying it as a joke. Yes. She's literally no, inbred. No, she's literally like from a hoarding generations. house. Yeah, from a hoarding house. Um, and it's funny because she was only two weeks old, but she still has those traits because it's in her. It's in her DNA. So um, she does react poorly to some things, and we do work with her, but... Um, there are some things she's definitely at a standstill with, but we don't experience that often. But um, w- my point is that some chihuahuas, you know, they they get the rap of, of being stubborn and doing what they want and being a brat and, and trying to muscle everybody, um, you know, that Napoleon complex. So she said, do you really think he's scared? Because I said, he's terrified. She says, do you really think he's scared? You don't think he's just being a brat? And that's when it when I realized I needed to take a step back and really explain what was going on. Because I, I don't, and, and this this comes in with everybody that's in her ear as well, not just the other trainer, but like her parents and right. her sister How and her friends. How often do you hear, your dog shouldn't be acting like this? This is unacceptable. I, I hear it all the time. I hear it from clients right. that are like, my dog shouldn't be doing this. And I'm like, well, hold on a second. Let's just take a step back. So she's got... Apparently her sister has a dog and, and that dog is very well behaved. So I guess she's feeling a little bit more pressure from everybody in the family that her dog is not. So when it comes to this, everyone's telling her in her ear, you know, your dog's just stubborn. Your dog's a brat, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, you got to change your whole mentality. We got to start from scratch, lady. Like we, we really got to peel back the onion right now. And I want you to think about your dog the way that your dog is when it's just you and him. And she's like, he's the best. And I'm like, Exactly which means he's not a brat. If he's loving on you, he appreciates you, you guys have a great relationship. When it's just the two of you, things are great. I mean, yeah, dogs do things. He's obviously a rescue and he's a little bit older. So I'm sure he does some things in the house that are not super desirable. But in terms of their relationship, he's a good boy and he loves her and she loves him. So it's like, you have to harness that. When you're thinking about his training, always go back to that. Always remember that he can do that with you, which means that something else is wrong where he can't do it with other people right now. I think he likes her mother and her sister. I think men are a huge issue and obviously dogs. Dogs are a no-go right now, um, which they want to get him with her sister's dog, which I'm telling you is not going to be a problem when we do this the right way. We just need to move slowly. And the problem is 
we need everybody to be on his side and not have that, you know, the feelings of, well, he's just a brat and I don't feel like dealing with him. People get to the point where they get super frustrated and they're done with the issue. Everybody needs to be on the same page. You need, because consistency is the most important part of dog training. Absolutely. If someone's in her ear saying, you know, this, this and that, which is contradicting what you say, Mm -hmm. then you start to lose that consistency and she starts to steer away from that. The training just, it derails. And then guess who gets blamed when the training derails? Me. My hand is up right now. Me. I get blamed. So... I'm telling her we need to get everybody on the same page, but not not only just with consistency, because anybody can fake it. I need everybody to believe in him because if he picks up, because this dog is like hypervigilant, this dog knows everything that's going on. And he knew that I, I was, I was a good person. So when I walked up, he was like, okay, I don't care about you. Um, if there's one person in the family that's like, oh, like, screw this dog, he's going to know it and he's not going to feel comfortable and he's not going to learn. He's not going to get better. So I said, we have to get everybody on the same page and they need to want him to get better. And if we're going to do that, everyone's got to be in on this 100%. So she was down for that. She was super happy that we were talking about that. And I said, he's not a brat. He, this is the way he has learned to keep everybody away from him. Right. Up we until say, this point, it's worked. Exactly. It's it's most likely like um it's it's very much so like mailman syndrome, but he has taken it to the next step of I want everybody except my mom to stay away from me. And if I bark, I growl, I lunge, everybody keeps their distance. He sees bodies react, he sees us tense up when we hear the bark or the lunge or, or anything that he's doing that's reactive, and we keep our distance. So he has learned this over years. That if I do this, people stay away from me and I don't get hurt. So I'm assuming before she adopted him, he did get hurt. There was probably a few times he did get hurt and now he's trying to defend himself. So we went over that and I think she felt a lot better about how she's thinking about him through all of this. You know, not that he's just trying to be this, this Napoleon dog. Like, no, he's, he's scared. He's shaking. Mm -hmm. He's literally shaking while he's watching people 40, 50 yards away. Like this dog is terrified. Right. So I felt really bad for him. So once we started talking a little bit more about it and um, we went into talking about the trainer and how it kind of went, she was like, well, you know, when he explained it, it all made sense. And I was like, of course, because he's not going to tell you the repercussions of, of the shock collar. I don't consider them trainers. Like the ones that are certified by the manufacturer. Mm-hmm. So like go out and do the training. Yeah. They're not trainers. They're yeah. salesmen. Yes, salesmen. Yeah. And I... I've always said this, and a lot of people get offended when I say this, and I don't mean to be offensive, but I think if you're getting offended, there's probably a reason why. If the shoe fits. Yeah, it's lazy. Mm-hmm. You're being lazy. You're basically just putting a Band-Aid over a problem because you don't want to do the work. Yes, positive reinforcement takes hell of a lot longer. I'll tell you that. It really does. It does not happen overnight, and you need to work and work and work at it. But your dog is going to be a happier dog in the long run. You're going to have a stronger bond with your dog, too. Yes, and you don't have to carry around a damn remote. When it comes to it, you just want your dog to listen and respect you because you listen and respect them. It should be a mutual thing. that The gap of communication should be bridged. They should understand what you want and they should understand that you have their back. You're not going to let anything bad happen to them. And they need to know that from you. You need to, you need to show confidence and that you're going to protect them and you're going to have their back and nothing bad is going to happen. And you're okay in these situations. You're not coddling them and you're also not yelling at them. Mm -hmm. You're, you're there for them. You have confidence. You're, you're, 
you got your best cheerleader voice on, your baby voice, you're letting them know, hey, nothing's wrong here. We're having a grand old time. If you're not on their team, they're going to be like, I'm by myself and I'm going to have to do something mm-hmm. drastic because I don't have backup. Well, that then it goes into the whole thing of like being alpha, like, oh, my dog's being alpha. Well, if you're not going to show your dog that everything's okay, yeah, they're going to stand up for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I know we discussed, uh, John has discussed on the small bite that, you know, the whole alpha thing isn't a thing because alpha, it's alpha theory doesn't exist exactly and it doesn't but in this situation if you're not going to be there for your dog yeah they're going to protect themselves right Don't, and that's not being alpha no. that's 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 just protection just survival yes. they just want to survive absolutely so we're going through it and you know she said this to me and i remember this so clearly how she said it. she said now i feel awful she's like i'm realizing now that the collar was more for me than it was for him and I was like, you nailed it. Mm-hmm. You nailed it. Because it's not for him. He can learn any way that you teach him to learn. You chose this way because someone put a really nice sticker on it. And you were like, oh, that sounds really great. And I don't have to do it. You're going to do it. That sounds, if someone's going to give you that option to not have to work hard, you're going to take it. Yeah. And that's exactly what this guy did. And she was like, well, you know, I have to say she, he did really like the trainer. And I said, you were gone. You weren't there anymore. Of course, he's going to like him. Again, quotation marks. Yeah. Um, he's going to like him to some extent because he's got all the resources. He's got all the food. He's the one who's taking care of him. That's he doesn't, proof that he's not trying to be alpha. Exactly. That right exactly. there is proof that that alpha he theory doesn't. He would have the crap out of him. Exactly. Because he understood, I need to do what I got to yeah, do. mom's gone. To survive and mm-hmm. get these resources. Absolutely. Whether or not I like this guy, he's causing me pain. Yes. So, and I said, not all dogs understand or know that the trainer or the keeper of the remote is the one shocking them. They don't, like, it's not like the, the trainers, like, got the remote in their face and he's like, ah, I'm shocking you. You know what I mean? It just happens. And they feel the pain. They don't know where it's coming from. So they're not really understanding that it's the trainer that's doing it. So, yes, in those situations, um, not every dog is going to hate the trainer that's shocking them or using a prong collar on them. Uh, same, same situation there. So don't misconstrue that for having a good time. Because it's not. Right. Basically, what we were saying was uh, the boot camp and the way the trainers train with those boot camps is they play on your emotions. You know, you have a problem that you desperately want fixed. They they basically prey on the weak, the the clients that have the most difficult dogs, the aggression, the reactivity, the dogs that make clients' lives more difficult. I can't have friends over. I can't have kids over. I can't have other dogs over. We can't go to the park. We can't do certain things because my dog is reactive or aggressive. So they feed on this because this this is a, a difficulty in your life and they're going to tell you, I'm going to fix this for you. It's going to be great. And all you got to do is bring your dog here to me, pay me a lump sum of money, and we got this. And you're like, wow, that sounds great because you don't know any better. And it's not your fault for not knowing any better. It's, it's not your job. It's, it's the trainer's job to keep your dog safe and do what's best for them. In this situation, they're just doing what's best for them because that lump sum of money keeps them open. I feel like people find it almost enticing to go for these packages, these lump sums of money, because they'd rather know the price mm-hmm. right up front and yeah. it's easy to digest. Yeah. Meanwhile, good trainers will do session to session. Yes. And then I guess that scares some people away because they're like, well, they're, they're, it's good. how many sessions is it going to be? It's oh going to be more than a that. package. I get that all the time. It's almost. Yeah, you're I right. I never thought about it like that. It's cheaper. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think we've ever 
scratched the surface of what some of these, like some no. of them are like $5,000. Not unless the client wants to keep going and wants their dog right, and they to do be maintenance. like, exactly. It's more maintenance rather than every week. Which you don't get with these packages no, anyway. No, you don't. Um, not at all. And how you're saying, like when people say, oh, session, how long is it going to take? I hate that question. I hate mm-hmm. it every single time. And I have to be honest. I'm like, I cannot give you a number of how many sessions we are going to need because I just met your dog. I just met you. There are other people in your family and every dog learns at a different pace. And it really depends on how much effort you put in. There's so many variables. It's not, I'm going to bring my effort every right. time I'm here for 45 minutes a week. I'm bring it. I don't know what you're going to do when I'm not here mm-hmm. and that's on you. So yeah. I always say we will go as quickly as you are consistent and that's it. And I say, I don't like to stick around for long. You know, you don't become a dog trainer to be a millionaire. That's for damn sure. So when we got into this, I said, I want to help people. I don't want to stick around forever. I see they've got families. They've got kids. They've, they've got these, these houses that they need to pay their mortgages on. They don't need to worry about me and paying my stuff. So I get in and I get out. I want them to have all the information that they need. When I leave, I always say, your dog's not going to be perfect when I leave. But you're going to have all the information to make your dog perfect because I'm going right. to give it to it you before time. I go. And then it's going to it's gonna take time and you better keep up on your homework when I'm gone. And then you're going to have a really great dog. Makes me think that the, I'm going to say, quote, trainers mm-hmm. that are doing huge packages, they're not doing positive reinforcement, they're doing the quick fixes, mm-hmm. are going to take all this money. They're not, they're not refunding the money. Mm-mm. Never. Anytime we deal with their clients after they've destroyed them, mm-hmm. the people never get their money back. They never finish all their sessions. Because they don't want to do it anymore because right. they see how horrible it is for their dog. Once they physically see it, once they come back, because the, tr- the trainer always says, come back and I'll teach you everything that I taught the dog. Right. And then they see their dog being hurt and they're like, I'm not going to do this at or home. Or the dog breaks down yes. entirely. Mm-hmm. So now you have a dog that already had a behavioral issue that needed to be fixed. And then you have them break down. Mm-hmm. And then you have the family just shell out several thousand dollars in one lump sum. Mm-hmm. That's a one-way ticket to the shelter. Absolutely. Because they're like, wow, I just spent all this money and now you're worse. Our main goal is to avoid that, to mm-hmm. get dogs out of the shelter, to yes. get dogs never get into the shelter. It's such a struggle. And I wish I could like yell it from the rooftops, but you know how many people would come back at me saying, oh, you have no idea what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was basically, you know, back to her, I, you know, I was saying, he's still reactive. You, you did your, you did your boot camp, and he's trained on the shock collar, but he just, did you see what just happened with the sheep? You didn't fix anything, but you didn't have your remote. The remote puts him on mute. Exactly. That's it. And that's it. You just stopped the barking. Your dog's no, no happier. If anything, they're less happy. So, and and I said to her, I was like, his job is done now. It's your problem. Everything that this is, well, technically my problem now, but it's your problem. It's done. You paid your money. He did his thing. That's it. You're done. And nothing really happened. So, um, you know, discussed again that uh, positive reinforcement takes longer, but it fixes the problem. We don't like to mask it. We want to get to the root. We want to fix. I want this dog to be at a family party and not bite anybody. Right, just hang out. Have a good time. Have Enjoy a good time. seeing people. Have a good time. Get have, those table scraps. Yes, work for it, you know? And uh, and I want that for him because he's a sweet dog. He was sweet to me. I was, all I did was give him cheese and he liked me. You're the first trainer to not give him hurt cheese. Him. And, exactly. So, um, so that's my story with this chihuahua. Um Basically, I, I told her what we're going to do. I'm going to use Oakley. 
Uh, we're going to use positive reinforcement to get him more socialized and not bite anybody. And we're also going to do, condition. you know, John and I don't like to um, advertise this because a lot of people are super against. I'm actually seeing more people really open to it lately, which is nice. Muscle training. It keeps your dog safe. It's more for your dog being safe rather than people being safe. Right. Because people are stupid. And I'm going to say that again. People are stupid. Because just yesterday I was training Ava, my uh, shepherd client, who was bred to be a protection dog. And then the the dad didn't want her anymore because she wasn't good at it. And then gave her to this family. And all she does is bark and lunge. And she's tried to bite me a few times, so we're working on it. We're walking, just trying to get her to like me and, and be comfortable just walking around me while I'm talking to mom. And she's got her muzzle on. We, we did appropriate muzzle training. She has no cares in the world that this muzzle is on. This guy comes out of his house, sees the muzzle. She's barking, and he's, like, probing her. He's, like, antagonizing her. And I'm like... What are you doing? You clearly see that this dog is not having this right now. Right. And you're making it worse. Like, Like, but you're making it worse because you're going to drive off in your car and now we have to deal with her all pent up, Mm -hmm. which she was. And I was like, I hate people sometimes. Like, just people are stupid. So the muzzle is less for protecting people and more for protecting your dog because, you know, people are going to, even though they have the muzzle and the dog is doing everything they possibly can to keep this person away, they're still going to approach and maybe go for a pet and then get bit. And then they sue you. And even the sweetest dogs, given the right circumstances, yes. will bite. Absolutely. You know, if they feel got, uncomfortable. If they break their leg and they got to mm-hmm. be handled, they'll bite yes. you. If they're I say this all the pain. time. I have even muzzle trained Oakley, the sweetest dog in the world, therapy dog to kids, uh, and has never hurt a fly in his entire life because God forbid he gets hurt and he needs to go to the vet and they need to examine him. I don't want him biting anybody. Especially in these times where you can't go yeah. in the office. Oh with God, him. if I if we weren't with him with him, if that happened, he'd be a wreck. Yes. I don't know what would happen. But yeah. also, not so that he can't bite anybody, but I don't and they're gonna they're gonna slap a muzzle on him without anybody's permission, because right. that's what they do. And I get it, they have to stay safe. I don't want that first time he's experiencing a muzzle to be when he's in excruciating pain. And now he hates the muzzle for life. Yeah. So we do it prior to think we are proactive in everything that we do with training. We are proactive. So when things go down, we don't have any repercussions. So if you want to learn how to muzzle train, we can put up a video about that. Yeah, it's overdue. Yeah, I think appropriate muzzle training for sure. It's positive. I basically call it, I want the dog to think of it as, oh, my peanut butter mask or my yogurt mask or whatever they like to eat. Um, we make it fun and we do it in gradual stages. It usually takes about two to three weeks to be completely desensitized and we take our time. So a study, Frontiers in Veterinary Science, it's a journal, published July 22nd, 2020, found that positive reinforcement was a more effective training method compared to electronic or shock collars. The study recruited 63 dogs who all required training for recall and sitting on cue. The dogs were split into three groups. The first group, e-collar trained using trainers from the e-collar company. Okay. The second group was positive reinforcement trained using positive reinforcement trainers. The third group trained by e-collar trainers not using e-collars. So the positive reinforcement group had more correct responses in quicker times than either of the other groups. The findings refute the suggestion that training with an e-collar is either more efficient or results in less disobedience. Even in the hands of experienced trainers, training with positive reinforcement was found to be more effective at addressing the target behavior as well as general obedience training. This method of training also poses fewer risks to dog welfare and quality of the human-dog relationship. 
Given these results, the study suggests that there is no evidence to indicate that e-collar training is necessary even for its most widely cited indication. Thank you. So that just came out last month. Did I write that? <laughs> well, it's, it's a study, so no. <laughs> That's amazing. And I'm so glad that they're actually doing the studies that mm -hmm. matter. Well, th that you can find all kinds of stuff like that in the frontiers of veterinary medicine. Mm -hmm. And most of them are open source, so you can read them. You don't need a membership anywhere. Yeah. But, yeah, and that's that's brand new science. You know, how many people argue with me mm -hmm. on the internet about how I'm wrong? Yes. And I'm like, there are so many studies about how they say e-collars do not work, and they're not necessary. And you know like, what they're going to say? Oh, the sample size of that study. 63 dogs is still a, a decent size. Yeah. And for to have that third group of the e-collar trainers yes. not using the e-collars, mm -hmm. they're salesmen. Exactly. They're not trainers. Exactly. So... I always say when I'm on the internet and people are like, oh, that's not true or this and that. And I'm like, I look at their, I'll look at their like Facebook. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you're not a trainer. No. <laughs> your, your occupation doesn't have anything to do with dogs yeah. and it drives me nuts. Yeah. And I'm like, you're just offended because I'm basically telling you that what you did with your dog is incorrect and that hurts your fifis. And it's okay. It's okay to be upset about it because you didn't know, just like my client didn't know. But do what you can. Don't have your pride. Put your dog first and fix the problem. And if you are going to be proud about it and you're going to try and persuade other people to go your route because you're so proud, you're teetering on abuse. Mm -hmm. You are because you're using pain to, to correct a behavior. That's, and, that's all and it is, you though. you are ha telling other people to do it, even after being told what you're doing is a certain way, and you're going to refute the person mm -hmm. who's certified and does it as a professional, teetering on animal abuse. Absolutely. And to me, you don't care about your dog as much as you care about is your dog listening to you. Right. Your pride. Your yeah. pride. Um, that happens a lot, and it drives me nuts. I'm hoping one day this won't be a thing. I'm still shocked that prong collars and shock collars are still allowed. Right. I can't believe you could just go to the store and buy them. Like, just buy them and then slap them on your dog. Mm -hmm. with zero training. Yep. Like, but everybody always says, they don't hurt. I just, I, I can't wait till this industry is regulated and I we can get all silly. that crap off the shelves mm -hmm. and, and have actual science-based options available in the stores for people. Yeah. But until that day, we're just going to keep fighting the good fight. Yep. And trying to educate all of you lovely people on how to work with your dogs in a way that's going to keep them happy and keep you happy. Yes, it may take a little bit longer, but you will be so much happier when it's done and you will know that you did it out of the goodness of your heart. You did it because you care about your dog, that you love them, and now you're both sitting pretty. And you can say, yes, I trained my dog mm -hmm. in a nice way. I did it. And it worked. I know, look, way better than your dog. Mm -hmm. With the prong collar. Absolutely. The shot collar. Exactly. So... I'm glad I was able to talk about this case study today. Um, I'm proud of my little Chihuahua's mom for listening to what I had to say, being open to change after she was doing something for a period of time. And now we're, we're really getting to the root of the problem. So um, I will update how he does. And uh, I'm seeing him this week for the second time. So great. The second training after his consult. Yes. Great. So if you've made it this far, you've earned yourself a... Boston University fact of the day. Whiskers provide spatial awareness via tactile feedback and trigger a reflex to blink to avoid eye injury. So basically, if they feel something they on close whiskers, their whiskers, they close their eyes and they don't have great vision up close. So they utilize 
the whiskers to try and feel where they are and to understand the proximity of things to their mouth. Did Opal not have whiskers? (laughs) She was just blind. (laughs) She could be covered in whiskers. She's going to have a hard time. Opal was our blind dog that recently passed away, but uh, she'd bang into a good amount of stuff. Yeah, we still have we still find smudges on the walls. Yeah, like dirt clean. smudges because she also liked to dig. Um, that's a pretty fun fact. I enjoy, I didn't know that their eyesight wasn't so good up close. Yes, it's not it's not great up close. Oh, okay, good fact. That's all we have for this episode. Please like, subscribe, rate us five stars, share with a friend, all that usual stuff. You can follow us on Instagram for daily fun facts yes. and updates on our training. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's all we got, right? Yeah. It's a good convo today. We'll be talking Friday. Yes, we will. Until then. Class dismissed.